Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. Yeah, and good morning to you here. Tune to Bay FM 999. You're now tuned to Future Sense here with myself, Nick Jeans, and Steve McDonald. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Nick. Here we are again. Here we are again after being down in Melbourne exactly, last week, yeah. both of us. Yeah, thankfully we good. made it back. We did make it back. <laughs> Love Melbourne, though. It's a great oh, place Melbourne's to visit. an awesome city. Yeah. It's a bit like the Matrix on one hand. The next minute it feels like it's a really uh, advanced city. Well, it is, you know. There's lots of, lots of amazing stuff, progressive stuff going on in Melbourne. I always love visiting and just catching up with what's going on down there. Absolutely. You know, if, if I've got to go to a city, then I love Melbourne as a city. And that's right, me too. Well, you lived there for a while, didn't I you? I did, seven years I was there. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit about our journey down in Melbourne shortly. And we were there, both of us, for the launch of Mind Medicine Australia with Professor David Nutt, who's the Professor of Neuropsychopharmacology at Imperial College London. Congratulations on saying that so early Neuro in the morning. Neuropsychopharmacology. That's a lovely <laughs> word. It's one of those, like a German word, isn't it? It's got 27 syllables yeah. or more. I, I think the MC on the evening said it was a bit like supercalifragilisticexpialidosis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's pretty good. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate, and spiral up. You're now tuned to Future Sense with Steve McDonald and myself, Nick Jeans. You may have uh, already woke up this morning to the news that the the uh, the coalition, federal coalition, is sort of caught up pretty much with uh, Labor in striking distance, as they like to say, probably based on the fear generated largely by uh, the. Uh, the Medivac uh, legislation passing and de- defeating the coalition government on the floor of the House. First time it's happened, I think, in 90 years or something like that. And, of course, the fear is uh, is uh, out there now about uh, being flooded by boat people. And uh, that fear is, I guess, uh, part of the, the structure of our times in terms of how many of us uh, seem to respond to life, the universe and everything. And one could argue uh, it's uh, indicative of a sort of mental conditions and mental illness in, in, in people. Not that fear is unnatural, fear is present, and everybody has some fear, of course. But uh, we were recently, I'm just making a bit of a segue here, uh, to uh, our journey down to Melbourne to the launch of Mind Medicine Australia, which uh, you'll find at mindmedicineaustralia.org, that's the website, and uh, it's entitled A New Paradigm for Mental Health. This was um, a very serious and professional uh, uh, opening of something extremely important here in Australia. It was a, a wonderful convergence of people from different walks of life, and it's a very important time here in Australia for psychedelic research. Our non-profit research organisation, Psychedelic Research in Science and Medicine, or PRISM for short, was formed in 2011 uh, with considerable uh, assistance and influence from Rick Doblin, the founder of 
the United States uh, mm. non-profit organization, MAPS, MAPS, Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. And Rick came out here in 2010 and spoke at a conference and offered uh, some lovely US dollars to help us get something happen happening here in Australia research-wise. And uh, it was just a modest amount, but it was enough to... to uh, help us uh, get motivated yeah. and get organized and create our own research organization and then since then uh, I'm a, a co-founder of prism as you know Rick, yeah. as you know Nick and uh, um, we've been knocking on doors for seven or eight years trying to find a, an institution that will help us uh, start a psychedelic mm-hmm. clinical trial here in Australia and it was only in late 2017 that the doors started to open uh, and so mm-hmm. it is a very interesting time we had uh, office of funding and also a couple of institutions that one of one of which actually approached us which was of course st vincent's hospital in melbourne yes uh, asking for assistance to get a psilocybin study up and running and mm. uh, and in a relatively short space of time yeah. we've got that organized yeah. in uh and, and uh, st vincent's and their staff are very much leading the way on that and presumes in a a uh, advisory role but also a um collaborative role in that our president uh, dr martin williams is uh, co-principal investigator for the psilocybin study which is in their palliative care unit there uh, giving a spiritual experience essentially to terminally ill people to take away help take away their anxiety about dying and so um, on the foundation of that progress um, some discussions about furthering the cause here in Australia led to this idea of creating another non-profit organisation which could be uh, a leader in terms of uh, advocating uh, psychedelic medicine and uh, possibly expanding to other areas, uh, certainly including sponsoring research and also perhaps organising training of therapists sometime in the future. Mm. And that's how Mind Medicine Australia came about. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, what we were doing in Melbourne was uh, attending the launch event, the public launch event, and uh, we were very, um, very lucky to have David Nutt in the country at the time. And, and what a wonderful name, David uh, Nutt, with two T's, N U T T, David yep. Nutt, but a wonderful professor, as I said, professor of uh, neuropsychopharmacology at Imperial College London, as he was uh, hastened to point out or pointed out. Uh, the amount of research now being done by you know some of the top universities in uh, the world, including Cambridge, Harvard, Yale, New York University, John Hopkins, and many others in Europe and other countries. And we've been, as you said, a long way behind. And finally, St. Vincent's Hospital is going to do some serious research into one of these psychedelic substances in this way. Uh, but the, the focus was really on mental illness. 15% of the world's population, that's 1.1 billion people, currently have a mental illness. In Australia, mental illness is the leading cause of non-fatal disease burden and the third leading cause of total disease burden. And, of course, it would seem to be getting worse. And if you particularly look at uh, disadvantaged communities, uh, Indigenous communities in particular, for example, the, the uh, state of mental illness is, is far worse with that epigenetic shit coming down the, the generations on people and uh, so it's a, it, it, it is time for a really big uh, reassessment of how we treat these sort of illnesses and diseases in the world. Yeah, we've got a lot of catching up to do here in Australia and uh, thanks to amazing organisations like MAPS and also like the Hefter Research Institute who have funded the psilocybin study 
studies that have been done overseas, you know, we're able to stand on the shoulders of giants, as they say, yeah. and uh, you know, we don't have to start from scratch ourselves. So we're very yeah. grateful for that. And it was it was great that we at the at the launch. It was about five hundred people, I think, in a yeah. uh, in a rather large theatre space at the Mel- at Melbourne University. This was a serious uh, a serious piece of work, a serious launch with serious people. And I say that in the sense that there were a lot of professors, doctors, a lot of mental health professionals there, as well as obviously a lot of very interested people in the field of uh, this new medicine, of the new psychedelic research, in one way or the other. That's going on everywhere in the world. Yeah, it was a, a wonderful convergence. Yeah. You know, there, there was a strong representation, of course, from the psychedelic community yeah. uh, and uh, from the science community, as you said. Um, medical people. Uh, I sat next to a, a wonderful lady from St Vincent's Hospital, uh, and also philanthropists. And it's you know yeah. it's the first time I've ever been to a psychedelic oriented event in Australia where there were philanthropists in the in the audience. And that's amazing. And in fact, the two uh, the two principals of My Medicine Australia, Peter Hunt and Tanya de, de Jong. Peter Hunt is a, an investment banker, and the two of them apparently put in these sort of seed first million dollars. So pretty amazing to see an investment banker who's clearly had a uh, uh, some sort of awakening or or simply looked at the deep, uh, the research and go, yeah, well, well, this uh, is valuable, this uh, is important. He's quite open about it, both of them are. In fact, they spoke about it at the launch event yeah. that they had uh, some experiences with psilocybin themselves, which were life-changing and, and really spurred them on to do something about it, mm. about making it available. Indeed. Yeah. And uh, Professor Nutt's uh, initial uh, well, Professor Nutt's presentation, is that the initial part of that was about the history of uh, psychedelics. And most of us who are somewhat familiar with this area of endeavour uh, would be familiar with that, but it, it was important to, I think, for me to remember that in a sense the psychedelic revolution was shut down, closed down in the late 60s, early 70s by the Nixon administration and following around the world and all Western democracies because essentially of the Vietnam War. Yeah, yeah, it was it was absolutely political, not scientific. And this has mm. left us with this uh, legacy of drug laws which are based on the political opinions of, of that era and not based on science. And David Nutt has been an absolute pioneer in terms of researching and providing hard data around the harms of those uh, you know, of illicit drugs versus legal drugs. And he's shown very, very clearly through his work that some of uh, the drugs which are legal, such as particularly alcohol and tobacco, are amongst the most harmful drugs in terms of their harm to the user and their harm to wider society. And some of the drugs that are classed as uh, the most harmful on our highest drug schedules, which in Australia that is Schedule 9 overseas in places like the US, they call it Schedule 1. We've got things like uh, psilocybin, like MDMA, um, which actually in David Nutt's study show up as being the least harmful and far, far less harmful than even horse riding, as he famously announced yeah. uh, in the got US. Got into a bit of trouble yeah, saying got that, into trouble for saying that, yes. <laughs> Well, we've also, and in complimentary news just this week, Israel's health ministry has approved compassionate use of MDMA to treat PTSD. They've sort of jumped the queue a little bit, but based in the research that you're referring to there, particularly uh, the research by MAPS uh, and uh, Rick Doblin and co. in America, where they, the Israeli health ministry uh, sent a representative for training in the U.S. and to work on the on a confidential basis through the California-based uh, multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies, I can say can't say that word. I can say neuropsychopharmacology, maps, and so that's pretty amazing. And of course, uh, Israel and uh, is arguably one of the most um, uh, you know countries with a with a huge degree of PTSD for fairly obvious reasons. Yeah, obviously that region there is a, yeah. an important one globally in terms of addressing some of the basic challenges of. Uh, mental illness and humanity in general 
And um, of course, Israel is, is really following on the tails of the US, where the US FDA, uh, Federal Drug Administration, which is the equivalent of our Australian Therapeutic Goods Administration, mm. have declared uh, MDMA based or MDMA assisted therapy as a breakthrough therapy yes. based on the results of the phase two. And just explain what breakthrough, trials. it's kind of obvious, but just explain what that means because it sort of jumps the queue a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, what, what it means in practical sense is that it is a, a way of accelerating the availability of this medicine to the general public. And so normally in the drug development process, you've got to complete phase one, phase yeah. two and phase three drug trials before something can be uh, classified a prescription medicine and made available. And so uh, MAPS has recently finished their phase two studies uh, and they're about to, and just beginning phase three right now. And breakthrough therapy status given by the FDA allows them to make the medicine available to the general public during the phase three trials, which is an extraordinary thing. And uh, Rick Doblin from MAPS uh, has said very clearly that uh, they plan this year to start licensing clinics in the USA where the general public will be able to go uh, and pay for treatment uh, via MDMA-assisted psychotherapy with uh, licensed uh, practitioners who, who are overseen by MAPS. So that's an extraordinary thing. And essentially Israel has just declared the same thing, that they're going to make this compassionately available to people who need it before the studies are finished. Yeah. Pretty amazing stuff. For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, you're grokking future sense here on Bay FM. 9.31 here on Future Sense on Bay FM with uh, Nick and Steve. We were talking about the uh, My Medicine Australia launch and the the new psychedelic revolution and the the windows of opportunity that, that provides. And another piece of news this week, Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper signed a law that will now allow school nurses to administer medical marijuana to students, the Denver Post reports. But that doesn't mean that the kindergartners are going to start ripping bowls in the nurse's office. The law only applies to cannabis oil and other non-smokable marijuana like CBD oil and requires that students have a medical marijuana card and written permission from their parents and school principal. I guess it's like a fast track to high school, right? <laughs> oh dear. Very interesting. And of course... Uh, and of course, after that, there's university. That's right. The university. <laughs> Very expansive <laughs> education. Um, and of course, uh, when we talk about the change process and the development of mm. human consciousness and our evolution, altered states play a very important role. And this is a, the key link with uh, psychedelic medicines is understanding how these things can be useful because we've grown up in a society where the use of altered, uh, most altered state substances has been suppressed for a long, long time. Some people would say, you know, the last 2,000 years or so with the rise of, of Christianity and other mm. structured religions. Uh, and uh, we're, we're in a, a place where we need to relearn how to use altered states in a constructive and measured and healthy way. Yes. Uh, because uh, certainly during my lifetime, the, the general use of altered state substances like alcohol has been almost the opposite, uh, you know, destructive and detrimental in some ways. And why do you think that is? I mean, there's, there's good reason in terms of, because we're, we're moving here, folks, towards a, a bit of an expose this morning of uh, Claire W. Graves' second tier um, um, uh, part of his model, and uh, particularly layer seven, or the yellow layers it's also called, 
and why some of the factors in society and culture uh, are present right now uh, in terms of uh, what they're showing us about where we may be moving to or where, what's, what it's offering to us. That's right. And, and the researcher whose work we draw from uh, so often on this show, Dr. Claire W. Graves, he wrote that each particular value system in this spiral model uh, that he put together uh, tends to prefer certain types of drugs. And he also wrote that whenever society is going through change, considerable change, then the use of drugs mm. increases, mm. the prevalence increases. And uh, the, the reasons are that if you look at the process uh, of moving through change, what it feels like, what we experience when we move through change, our perspective on the world uh comes to a point where it's no longer useful for solving the, the most uh, severe challenges that we face. And so we sort of hit a bit of a, a brick wall momentarily, and the first response to that is what we call a regressive value search, where we look back into our past and we remember a time when things used to work okay, and then we go back and revisit those old value sets to see whether they'll work in this uh, position we find ourselves in. And the whole world is really going through this particular phase of the change process right now where we're seeing our leaders saying we need to get back to the old values, we need to go back to the old ways in order to solve our problems. And what that does effectively is it actually speeds up our progress through, the, through change because the old ways are even less appropriate for solving our new problems than our current values are. And uh, so that creates a larger gap, a more evolutionary tension, yeah. which actually drives us to move forward through the change process. And when we move through that change process, one of the critical factors is being able to see uh, different perspectives on life and being able to get insights into new ways of doing things. And the very best way of doing that is through altered states of consciousness. Yeah. Which, which may, of course, appear we're not advocating in any sense of drug taking, but the, the judicious and carefully administered set and setting, as we used to say back in the day, of uh, medicine application in the kind of way we're talking about and my medicine's talking about with these trials and uh, the trial in, in Israel that's also going on. Um, but also that we... Um, we still hang on to our old substances, alcohol, tobacco, and the like, in that regressive moment. And, and, and I guess my question before was like, why are we doing that now? Still, even more so because there's a lot of defence of those old industries, and of course, there is. money's the obvious thing there. Yes, but there's it's more than that, isn't it? Somewhere. Well, somehow. yeah. From, so, from a values point of view, uh, layer four, which is what we're what mainstream society is regressing to largely at the moment, which is an absolutistic way of dealing with the world, where you you live by a rigid value set and look for right or wrong it's just two choices yeah. uh, and we look to higher authorities to uh, lay down the, the rules around what's right or wrong okay so um, one of the things that Graves wrote is that that particular value system layer four prefers alcohol course it's a communal value system and therefore has a long-term outlook on mm. life you have to work hard for 40 years before you get the gold watch you have to live your entire life as a good person in god's eyes in order to get to heaven right there's no immediate reward in layer four mm. and so to dull that sense of uh, expectation longing for an immediate result alcohol is the perfect choice and of course it's embedded in some of those religions um, not uh, in islam as i understand but certainly in judaism and christianity uh, it becomes a ritualistic substance the blood of christ and the like so it's not only just that social uh, factor but it's actually embedded in that that's right layer you know, fours, uh, drink this Uber. all of you and 
forget your immediate needs. You sacrifice yourself. <laughs> uh, folks, by the way, you can text in 04373-41119, 04373-41119 and comment or ask questions or make any statements you'd like and we may or may not refer to them. <laughs> and, and just as a final segue, you know, if you look at yes. that uh, study which we're just getting involved with St. With, uh, Vincent's Hospital's palliative care unit, in Melbourne, uh, that study is all about transition through change, and it just happens to be perhaps the biggest transition that we make as human beings, and that is the transition beyond life on Earth. Uh, and so that, that intervention is providing an altered state to provide people insights as to what lies on the other side of that veil between the physical world and uh, the afterlife. And of course, um, what I was getting to the other day, uh, the moment I lost track for a moment is, of course, there are other ways of doing that. And many people focus on meditation and uh, other sorts of practice, which can certainly be valuable and do exactly the same thing. Absolutely. There are many, many different ways to get into altered states. And it's it's very much a horses for courses kind of a situation. You know, some people, if we talk about, you know, sport or physical exercise, some people uh, like golf, some people like yoga, some people like football, and it's whatever suits you and your particular makeup. Uh, is what's going to work best for you. So we're going to talk first about the drivers between layer six and layer seven, the second tier, yeah? Yeah, so uh, this show is focused on the transition from what uh, is known as first tier consciousness, which is the first six layers, which we're often talking about uh, in our in our show here, Future Sense, uh, to uh, what's known as the second tier of consciousness. Mm. And this is... Uh, really the headline of the whole story around human development, human evolution in the work of Claire W. Graves is this massive change that takes place between layer six and layer seven. And uh, Claire Graves himself called it a momentous leap. And I'm just going to read a couple of quotes from Claire Graves about this particular transition. He said, quote, it's the most difficult, but at the same time, the most exciting transition the human race has faced to date. It is not merely a transition to a new level of existence, but the start of a new movement in the symphony of human history. Nice. Amazing words there mm. from, from Claire W. Graves. Really beautiful. Uh, and, uh, and so there really is no precedent for this transition. And at the moment, the whole world is going through a transition. And in terms of the mainstream paradigm, the dominant paradigm, which has been in place for about 300 years now, the scientific industrial paradigm, what most of the world is transitioning to is not this second tier consciousness, but it's the final layer, layer six mm. in the first tier, which is a, a humanistic, very value-centered, network-centric uh, perspective and way of living life, way of being. Level playing field, egalitarianism, sustainability, renewability. Yeah, exactly. Acknowledgement so of differences and diversity. So we're pushing a little bit further into the future to mm. talk about this big leap momentous leap as Claire Graves called it into second tier consciousness but we, we also should remember that when uh, Claire did his research and he gathered his data mostly during the 1950s he found a small percentage of people who were living life according to second tier consciousness. Yes, Seven out of 1065 or so. Well, well uh, no actually it was uh, layer eight that he found six people out of 1065 okay. so I don't have a solid figure on the number of people that he found at layer seven. Because it sort of befuddled him at the time because he was situated in that era wasn't it? So it was, he discovered these things that didn't fit into the uh, the first tier 
your parameters and went, well, that's, this is describing something else. Yeah, that's right. So at the time that he was doing his study, all of the models of uh, human developmental psychology that existed at the time had no more than seven stages in it. Mm. And, and of course, Maslow's was probably one of the most famous staged model mm. at the time. And uh, and so he, in, in his initial study, picked up those seven different sets of human values. Uh, however, the people who were at the most complex of those sets changed over time. And his study ran, his uh, field study ran for, for nine years. And so he not only gathered data on people, but also he also gathered, gathered data on how people changed during those nine years. And some of the people who showed up at layer seven changed to what eventually was categorized as layer eight. Mm. And that so that uh, put his his model outside the box, you know, in terms of everything that existed at the time around yeah. the understanding of, of how humans develop, how how we mature. Because you mentioned uh, Abraham Maslow, of course, Maslow, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and they were contemporaries, they were friends also, but Maslow said that uh, Graves' model was far superior to his. And uh, as we've said before in the show, you know, Graves unfortunately died before his, his uh, full oeuvre of work could be... Uh, could be revealed and for him to actually speak to it and develop it, I guess. That's right. So he passed away before publishing it uh, yeah. academically and was working very hard on that for many years before his death. But uh, it was his final model, his uh, hypothesis was, was never published in a peer-reviewed journal and so consequently it didn't get academic recognition. Mm. And uh, all of the study that I've done on Claire Graves' work has been outside of academic institutions for that, res that yeah. reason. Yeah, it's fascinating to me too that that was that's the life story of Graves and this work. And in a sense, uh, the work was perhaps too early. Was it was obviously ahead of its time in some way, and yeah. probably wouldn't have been received even uh, anywhere near as much as it's beginning to be received now. No, at that time. And, and this is typically the case. The way yeah. that change happens is it comes in waves, and you know it starts with a small percentage of, of people, and then slowly spreads out across the population. And so the the early the pathfinders of this these higher levels of consciousness. Uh, were often uh, very isolated and lonely people in terms of their understanding the world. You know, there weren't too many others that they could share it with. Mm. And some of the early examples of second-tier consciousness that showed up in society were things like the theory of quantum mechanics, for yeah. example, which is roughly about 100 years old. Yes. Uh, so, you know, even well before Graves was gathering his data, somebody was thinking in a second-tier mm. way to come up with, with these ideas. Well, I guess uh, all of Einstein's work, you could, you could arguably put into that... Uh, not all of his work, no. So if we look okay. at his early work, like his theory of relativity, for example, it's, it's okay. layer six thinking because it's network-centric. It's about rel it's relativity, mm. right? It's literally <laughs> relativity. Mm. Um, but certainly his later work was... Uh, an example of second tier layer seven thinking, yes. Um, but, but you know, isn't that interesting in itself? I mean, here's a man, Einstein, who's been held up as the archetypal genius, uh, you know, uh, within the human race. And it, with some of his most celebrated work, the earlier stuff, it was layer six. Mm. Yeah. But I guess at that time, there weren't that many expressions of layer six on the planet. No, so that's it would have right. looked quite extraordinary so he was and futuristic. Way, way then. ahead of the mainstream. Yeah. Way, yeah. way ahead of the mainstream. And, you know, when we speak of these, this is, this is just a model. This is me speaking here. Um, Steve perhaps has a different view, but this is just a model. And we certainly acknowledge that. And there is definitely, and there was not in Graves' work, a judgment about layers. It's what actually works for you or for a, a collective of uh, human beings on this planet in a particular life condition frame that exists. If it works for you, 
whoever you are, whatever you express in the in these uh, layers, is absolutely fine. However, uh, we are now in a global situation where global challenges are so imperative, and they're so big and so complex that we really do perhaps arguably need uh, a completely different frame in which to operate from to solve a lot of these challenges on the planet. Yeah, and, and really essentially what Graves' work is doing is, is taking a kind of empty witnessing perspective on human evolution and at a personal level that we call that human development. And he's stepping outside of the value sets as best he can, and, and you know that's best done from a second-tier perspective, which I'm sure Graves had. Um, and then you can look at the different value sets that come with each of these layers or stages in the progression, and each value set will be attracted to some things but will reject other things. Yes. So this rejection factor that you're talking about is characteristic of certain value sets, and certain value sets will reject certain things. Mm. And layer six in particular um, is very focused on rebalancing the imbalance in society and consequently uh, likes to try and make sure that everybody has equal access to everything and, and equal consideration and is not judged and put aside because one of the characteristics of layer five has been this separation between mm -hmm. the 1% and the 99%, yeah. the successful and the unsuccessful. And that's something that layer six sees it, it has to rectify. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. You're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. Yeah, so let's uh, launch deeper into uh, into the momentous leap. Yeah, so just following on the back of what you said before about uh, not judging people, there are a couple of aspects of uh, Claire Gray's theory which I think are really, really important to understand before we do this deep dive. Mm. The first one is that each layer of consciousness that he identified in his model is perfectly adapted to coping with a particular set of life conditions. And the key thing that different that uh, changes or is different between the sets of life conditions the layers live according to is the complexity. So at layer one, it's, they are relatively simple life conditions. And as you go up the layers, the complexity increases. Now, um, it's, it's not a way of kind of uh, hierarchically arranging people into good or bad because if let's for example take a, somebody who's living uh, life according to layer five as their psychological uh, and operating system mm. uh, if you took them out of the life conditions that fit with the modern scientific industrial world and put them into the life conditions at layer one or two they may not survive simply because they don't have the coping capacity that's suited to those particular conditions mm. you don't have air conditioning or something that's, that's exactly right <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Uh, so you know, it's it's important to understand that for a given set of life conditions, the matching uh, operating system, you know, we call it the layer, yeah. is is the most uh, adapted way of being human in those conditions. Yeah. Okay, so so it's not a, a value judgment in terms of good or bad. Yes. The other important thing to understand is that it's not about intelligence. So when yeah. Claire Graves did his study. He ran an intelligence test, and in his time, you know, there was really only one kind of linear idea of intelligence, and that was logical, rational intelligence, which was known as IQ. IQ tests. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and so he ran a test like that, and he found that across the different uh, value sets uh, that corresponded with different layers, and he particularly at the time was aware of and was um, testing people who showed up as living from uh, layer six 
five, four, and uh, let me have a look at the, the diagram here. Actually, four, five, six, and seven mm. were, were the, I'm just looking at the actual data from, from the book. Yeah. Um, about Claire Graves' work. And it's a great book, by the way. Let me mention it. It's yes. called uh, Claire W. Graves, His Life and His Work, uh, published by Rainer Crum and Benedict Pastorfer. And uh, we'll tweet the details about that book. It was only published last year. Mm. Very, very lovely summary of Claire Graves' mm. life and his work and, and quite readable too. Quite it's readable. Not a, it's only like it's only a, a couple hundred pages, book. if that. It's only a small book. Yeah. It summarises it well. And so in there, it's got uh, some graphs from his work uh, displaying data about an intelligence... Uh, uh, assessment that he ran on yes. people and across those layers uh, what did I say it was four, four, four five, five, six, seven, seven mm. uh, he found there was almost no difference in intelligence so even though somebody was living life in a more complex way and had their their consciousness had adapted to match the coping capacity required by the, the complexity of their life conditions it wasn't an increase in logical rational intelligence it was yeah. something else um, you know I, I guess you might call it adaptive intelligence that was at play yeah um, would, <clears throat> would you go so far as to use the word consciousness in some sense well I often do yeah, yeah. I often do I mean consciousness is a very broad it's, word it's, and, it's uh, a bit of know, a troubled word still sometimes I, I, I give disclaimers about that yeah uh, because consciousness can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people but um, it, you know I, I use it as an umbrella term mm. to try and capture the whole operating system both conscious and subconscious uh, yes. it, yeah, that which drives our behavior whatever it is that's driving our behavior our the emergence of our values our choices you know our way of being human uh, in a in a sort of an umbrella sense an overall sense yeah so as we launch into this talk about second tier consciousness and we're going to start with just looking at the transition factors which are driving the change beyond layer six yes. I, I do want to point out also that in my humble opinion there is widespread misunderstanding of second tier consciousness and what the experience of living at second tier consciousness is like and what the characteristics of it are and these this mis widespread misunderstanding and particularly within the spiral dynamics community and also within the integral community which is uh, following Ken Wilber's integral theory work um, the misunderstanding has come from a problem with the early assessment tools so uh, years ago, when the spiral dynamics movement was still growing, uh, it developed some assessment tools, which basically was a, a self-reporting questionnaire asking you about your values and asking you to choose from a multiple choice set, you know, which of these values are you most attracted to. And then as a result of that questionnaire, it would then say, okay, here is your spread across the value systems. And we usually say that it's generally accepted that um, people live their life roughly around three of these layers at once. There's usually one layer, which is your dominant layer, which which drives you know most of your values and behaviour. Mm. There's a layer that you're still you've still got one foot in that you're sort of leaving behind, and another layer on the other side, uh, which you're just starting to move into. And that that's a, a general yeah. um, kind of a, a very broad brush description of, of what humans usually do or where they're, where they're usually at. The other thing is that these uh, value systems are layered and that's why we call them layers. Um, the, traditionally they were called stages but I've sort of gone to calling them layers because I think it's much more appropriate because they're nested inside each other. So they're not discrete things where we leave one behind and move to the next one. They are like the layers of skin on an onion where the next system is wrapped over the previous system. So if you're at layer six, 
you've got layers five, four, three, two, and one inside you, yeah. and you have access to operating from those layers if your life conditions determine that that's appropriate. Mm. And transcend and include is that, the phrase. That's right. So we transcend one layer, uh, or we transcend to the next layer in, and include all the previous layers. Yeah. yeah thank you, Nick. And. Um, it's it's important therefore to also understand that if you're living life with layer six as your dominant operating system, then you and this is a, an unconscious process. It's not something that we do by choice. You may switch to operate from layer one or layer two or layer three sometimes. So even outside that sort of three layer bracket, which is your main area of operation, you can still spiral down to previous layers or everything that you've got inside your particular set um, when life conditions demand so you know often if we find ourselves around little kids we'll spiral down and we'll be operating from layer two for example to try and match where they're at you know if we're faced with a, a real survival situation where we're genuinely concerned that we might not survive in a threatening situation then we might spiral down to layer one mm. and operate from there mm. but that in the first tier of consciousness so that's layers one through six that is an unconscious process we're not aware that we're doing it yeah. it's only when we make the transition into second tier that that, that awareness arises yeah. but just back to this widespread misunderstanding so the misunderstanding came from the assessment tools and the problem with the assessment tools was that if a person was uh, addressing the questions from a base of layer six then the layer eight questions or the response layer eight responses looked extremely attractive like it's yeah that's me or that's what i want to be like yeah. and so what happened was a whole bunch of people who were living life according to layer six as an operating system ended up being told by the outcome of these assessment reports that they were at layer eight and so that that what that did was it skewed the understanding of second tier consciousness for a large part of the spiral dynamics community and, and also i'm sure with overflow into the integral community as well because there's a lot of crossover there you know ken wilbur um, based one of his books at least you know almost entirely on Claire Graves's model which was boomeritis talking about layer six and so um, I, I'm really aware that this uh, could be troubling for a lot of people to hear and even disturbing but uh, I'm, I'm just offering it as my observation my humble opinion and uh, you know I invite you to, to dive into Claire Graves's work more deeply and, and investigate the issue yourself there's a, a very popular book uh, circulating at the moment called Reinventing Organizations by a, a, a author called Frederick, Frederick Lalu, yeah, and Lalu, yes. it quite famously talks about creating a teal organization and teal is the color that the integral movement Ken Wilber has given to uh, the spiral dynamics yellow or layer seven which is the first step into second tier consciousness and because of this general misunderstanding about the characteristics of second tier then uh, La Lu himself has written a book which he thinks is about creating a second tier organization and, and, and most of, if not all of the people who are reading the book probably had the same impression however if you look at the book the, the book is essentially about transitioning organizations out of layer five and into layer six it takes a network-centric systems approach to work, 
uh, and it's talking about flattening hierarchies in organisations, moving to uh, an equal access network-centric kind of uh, interaction in the workplace with greater self-awareness and all of those things are layer six characteristics. It lacks the multi-dimensionality that you would find if it was truly written for and from second tier consciousness. I guess it occurs to me the metaphor of a two-dimensional versus a three-dimensional chess game. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's layer six uh, is a very level playing field kind of perspective so it tends to be flat in that respect. Mm. Let me say though that uh, Lalu's book, La book is a wonderful book. It's very very well written for that transition from layer five to layer six. So I'm not criticising the book in any way. And which is extremely important at this time because extremely. we're seeing the passing away slowly but surely, but faster than perhaps we even imagined or hoped for of layer five of the of the industrial consumers competitive capitalist uh, mind frame that has been dominating the earth for so long and caused uh, both created amazing and wonderful things through science and technology and reductionism and created a whole raft of new issues and problems on the planet which require a different layer a different level of thinking that's to right cope so with. it's you know it's definitely what's next and what's appropriate yep. for right now you know it's a it's, it's a leading edge book in but that we, sense but you say we and on this program we uh, we say in, in our humble opinion that it's going to be a fairly short transition through layer six on the planet to a, a much bigger leap, the momentous leap the graves articulated, because that's actually what is necessary on a global global level to solve the issues and challenges that we have in front of us. Yeah, that's right. So, and, and the other way, just before I get off that uh, yeah. misunderstanding topic, the other thing that I have seen is uh, in reading Ken Wilber's work, there is confusion about that transition into second tier and what that looks like. And I, I think because Ken Wilber, what he's done in his work is he's brought together a, a, a wide range of research and integrated it in the most amazing way and I, I'm deeply grateful for his work and it's been a very important part of my own mm. development is uh, using his integral theory which I still use every day. Um, however, uh, for example, the the work, the written work of um, Susan Cook Greuter who has uh, put forward developmental psychology models um, classifies the layers or stages differently than Graves did. So if you think about a temperature scale where you've got a Fahrenheit measurement and a Celsius measurement, and those don't exactly correspond to each other, you know, you can't say that it's, you know, three degrees Celsius to three degrees Fahrenheit, it's just not, it doesn't, they don't even fit together if you try and put them on a, a linear scale. Um, so we're talking about a different way of classifying and Susan Crook-Greuter has used that different way and she's placed one of her stages in the transition space between green and yellow on Graves's model. And that, uh, I think, has created some confusion and even, even may, might I, um, dare to say in Ken Wilber's mind as he's you know he's tried to encompass all of the perspectives of all of the researchers it's ended up being rather muddy and it's kind of contributed to this misunderstanding about the the clear um, distinction of second tier consciousness which I've seen mm. uh, described by Graves mm. so moving to the transition from six into seven what is it that drives that I, and I want to draw on Graves's words exactly here uh, let me read from uh, his book, and this is out of the book The Never-Ending Quest, which was published by Christopher Cowan and Natasha Todorovic in 2005. Fabulous book, but it's 600-odd pages, so uh, it is refer to the, the little new one that uh, yeah. Steve mentioned before. It, this one's great. a collection of research notes, yes. so it's not all that readable. But no. Graves said, picture, if you will, FS, which is his code for layer six, man seated in a yoga position contemplating his inner self. 
he has completed the last theme of the subsistence movement of existence. He's talking about first-tier consciousness there. There are no new deficiency motivations to rouse him from his meditations. And there he's, he's referring to the fact that each one of the first six layers has a particular deficiency which plays out as compulsive behavior that has to try and fill you know, this, this hole of. And so by completing six, he's actually filled himself up and he no longer is driven by compulsive behavior. Back to Graves. Mm. In fact, he might well go on contemplating his navel to the day of his death if he only had some suitable arrangement to care for his daily needs. And it's quite possible for a few layer six individuals to live this way. We, we know a few of them, don't we? Nick? We do. But what happens when the majority of the population begins to arrive at this level of existence? Who is left to care for their daily needs? Who is left to look after the elaborate technology which assures their survival? If we return to this man seated AI. in his yoga position, we see that what finally disturbs him is the roof falling in. <laughs> <laughs> so in other words, the world around him starts to collapse. And this is what rouses him out of his comfortable position into action and into change. And the transition begins this transition into second tier. Uh, Graves, Graves says the roof can be called the A problems, the ecological crisis, the mm, energy crisis, yes. the population crisis, limits to growth or any other such thing which is enough of a disturbance to awaken layer six man. And uh, remember that Graves is writing this. I mean, he passed away in 86, so he's writing this decades and decades ago, but look at the insight that he had at that time. Graves said, naturally enough, his first reaction will be that Evil technology is taking over, and all the good feeling and greenery which made the earth great is in the process of being wrecked forever. And isn't that a story that we hear a lot? And, moment? of course, he's writing this, folks, in, what, 1970s or so, yeah? Or 80, early quite, 80s. Quite, quite probably in the 70s, yeah. yeah. And uh, Graves said, uh, he's correct in the sense that his entire way of life, his level of existence, is indeed breaking down. It must break down in order to free energy for the jump into the A prime N prime state, and that was his uh, that was his labelling of layer layer seven second tier, the first level of being. And so Graves classified the first six layers one through six as subsistence layers or as subsistence ways of being. Uh, human and he classifies uh, second tier as uh, levels of being so the focus has gone from how do I subsist or how do I survive which is a key driver in all the first six layers to who am I being yeah. is now the driver yeah. I, I, survival is is basically in the bag you know we, we've sorted that out um, I've got everything I need now who am I who am I being yeah, yeah. so that's really interesting uh, and uh, one, one more quote just from this section. These individuals do not, of course, see their striving for harmony with, with the human element as merely a stage that they're going through, but as the ultimate permanent goal of all life. So when they're in layer six, it's kind of like, uh, and this applies to all the layers, you know, yeah. once you kind of crack it, it's like, okay, I've got it sorted. This is it. You know, I've reached the pinnacle of human existence, you know. Uh, and at layer five, it's okay. Like, I've got the, like, two-story house, you know, on the country block of land and my big boat. And, and, and my share portfolio. And, and my Aston Martin in the garage. This is it, you know. I've, I've done it. Um, and, and you can go back through the layers. And every time, once we get over the big challenges, 
then we think we've reached the pinnacle of human existence. And yet, over time, problems develop and we realise, oh, no, wait, there's other things to do. And of course, uh, I guess at Green, it becomes uh, the first time that we're seeing the global problems emerge as be, and be, be present in and able to be understood to some degree, or at least uh, the information around them to be shared and seen globally so that we, we actually, while we're sort of comfortable in that, uh, sitting in that meditation position, many of us perhaps, uh, the world is actually, is actually, as you alluded to, kind of falling around with the complex problems that exist now, and they can't be solved by... Uh, just agreeing that they exist, we actually have to find a different way to take action to uh, to resolve them. Yeah, and uh, you know, Grace also uh, wrote that uh, sixth level values are a great step forward for man. And you know, remember that his his work was sort of from the fifties through the seventies and, and early eighties, and so he hadn't quite society hadn't quite moved into the kind of politically correct area of not referring to man or woman but mm. and so so you know his, his yeah. writing sounds sexist to us but it's yes. just the era that he was writing from yes. he said they reflect the beginning of man's humanism the demise of his animalism and it's interesting you know to think about that because um, even with all of our sophisticated technology from the scientific industrial era we're still killing each other in a, in a very animalistic and way. And treating each other very unkindly reasons. and, um, yeah, for various reasons. We are, and you've only got to look at the Australian government's treatment of mm. refugees yeah. in the offshore detention camps to yeah. get a great example of that. And at the moment, you know, they're trying to block medical attention yeah. for, for those people, which and, is it's and not you, human. They, they must have, must have suddenly, some one of the coalition uh, members must have sort of lights lit up over their head and went, holy shit, we just lost the vote in Parliament for this Medivac thing, but wow, we can turn this to our advantage. Let's turn the fear uh, level right up to 11 yes. and uh, and pull back some of our lost uh, constituents for the next election coming up soon. That's it's right. very so sad. Instinctively, they understand that there's this underlying fear of not surviving in, in the yes. first tier. You know, so that you, fear is always a, a great motivator. Uh, Claire Graves wrote about the actual transition process between six and seven, uh, and he, he said, my own thesis is that there will be an acceleration up to the time that it produces very horrendous problems. And by acceleration, he means an acceleration of change, an acceleration of the deterioration of our social systems, which were constructed according to layer five or previous. Exponential change, which I think is what makes people feel very uncomfortable when that level of change is accelerating at that rate yeah. uh, and becomes uh, confusing, it becomes paradoxical, it becomes very difficult to get a hold of the truth. That's Fake right. news and everything else comes upon. Yeah. It's hard to know what actually is true real and we're really living in this at the moment graves also said when it produces problems of such a degree things are going to have to slow down tremendously in order to deal with the resulting problems Mm. the accumulation of unsolved problems is such that it's actually going to produce the most dramatic change in human behavior that has yet occurred in all of man's history yeah huge so it's it's important to understand that there is no precedent for this shift from first tier to second tier. The only, if there's anything that we can compare it to, the only thing might be our transition into being human, into layer one with the emergence of Homo sapiens mm. from our predecessors. That that kind of scale is the only thing that might come close to it. But but actually, it doesn't even come close to it because the amount of coping capacity 
that's coming with second tier consciousness is is just off the scale. So, and, and we'll get into that very shortly. Indeed. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate, and spiral up. Yeah, tuned to Future Sense, 10.24, and uh, coming up at 11 o'clock is Pregnancy, Birth, and Beyond, and we are exploring second tier layer of consciousness uh, of Claire W. Graves' work here on BFM. So let's dive into it and talk yeah. about layer seven and, and what it's like. And in the uh, so one of the defining characteristics of, of layer seven and the second whole second tier of consciousness, as far as we know, is that it's primarily operating from a transrational way of being, whereas we've moved out of a rational way of being in layers four, five, and six. And what that means is in layers four, five, and six, the rational mind is king. Yeah. So uh, we can be uh, impacted by our pre-rational feelings, sensory perceptions, urges, instincts, which uh, are our drivers at layers one, two, three, but at four, five, and six, the rational mind is laid over the top of that, and we can say, okay, well, I'm feeling really scared, but I know that I'm safe here because nothing's going to happen to me, therefore I'll go ahead and do this, yeah? Uh, and in the transition to second tier, we leave that rational mind um, and move beyond it, transcend it into the transrational. So the, the when I say leave it, it's still there, but it's layered inside us uh, now, and we have an extra and more capable layer in the transrational layer over the top of it. Yeah. And transrational is not rational. So in the shift between layer six and layer seven, we typically go through a very confusing time where we're not quite sure how we make decisions because we've come from a place where the rational mind is our alternate determinant uh, and that's not to say we always use the rational mind some people will still use the pre-rational you know like oh, I don't feel that doesn't feel right or I'm too scared or whatever mm. um, but typically in four five and six it's the rational mind that says okay I have all the information now and I figure out that you know this is the choice that's best for me and so in the transition space we're leaving the rationality behind and we're moving back to something that's not rational it, it so it often feels like we're going backwards to the pre-rational again and, and in the early stages of the transition that's typically what people do is they start to go with their fears or their superstitions or mm -hmm. anything that comes from the pre-rational layers uh, and that can be a very confusing time because often those choices don't work out like they expected them to. Mm. Um, but it's all perfect and it's all part of building the evolutionary tension that's going to shift us further into second tier. Uh, and so once we start to really trap into the transrational, we're getting... Uh, an awareness, we're getting knowledge and information that's not coming through the rational mind. So it's coming through uh, accessing other dimensions of information, yeah. new dimensions that we didn't have access to before. It's very hard to describe this. In, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess in intuition is the word that you know that goes closest to describing that. Yeah, I, I, I sometimes call it a deep intuition. Yeah, uh, and uh, be, be, you know, one of the Places of confusion can be if we are having a fear response to a choice, then often we'll feel feel that in our gut, and and people will say, oh, "I'm going to go with my gut here and, yeah. and choose this," uh, and that sometimes, not always, but sometimes can be uh, a feeling 
that is the result of trauma stored in the body in the in the gut area and that there's a big band across that gut area of the body where trauma is often stored and that's part of the the vagal nerve complex because you can make a correlation with uh, with trauma early childhood and that pre-rational state of being that can appear to be intuition because that's, that's what right you're inferring, and, yeah. and it can it can be misinterpreted as this higher order mm. transrational intuition mm. but it's actually not and so uh, there's a learning space there and ken wilbur calls this this area that we have to pass through uh, the pre-trans fallacy zone, uh, pre as in pre-rational, trans yeah. as in transrational fallacy zone, where we often mistake one for the other, but eventually we come out the other side of that, and it just uh, emerges through practice. We we keep practicing, we keep trying to trap in, tap into something that's not rational, and eventually through practice we get there into the transrational zone. Mm. And I uh, often also call this quantum consciousness. Mm. Because if you think about those experiments where they split a photon and, and they, so they have two particles and they're remotely located at different parts of the planet and they, the universe they're, they're con- connected through their spin and then if the spin of one is changed then the other one immediately responds because there's a communication there that's not mm. through the local domain. There's mm. an interdimensional communication which seems to be beyond our, our sort of first tier awareness of space-time. Another way of looking at that also is the notion of synchronicity, which Carl Jung pointed to at that time, because that that moment of, uh, of transrational awareness, quantum consciousness, is a, is the recognition to a degree of synchronicity that may be occurring. That's right, and and you know a lot of Jung's work was done from layer six, but in his later years he started to poke into second tier, and that when he's talk about synchronicity, that was any uh, yeah. symptom of that, yeah. yeah. So um, emerging into layer seven, layer seven is the first step into the second tier. So in some ways, it's similar to layer one as the first step into first tier or the first step into, into being human. Baby steps. It's a baby step, right? And if you look back now from where we are in the first tier of consciousness as, as a, a species and you look at layer one, it looks goddamn primitive and it doesn't actually look much like being human, really. It's, it's, you know, it's very animalistic in its uh, appearance. Uh, that's the, the kind of hunter-gatherer existence. And so to mature second-tier consciousness, layer seven is going to look the same uh, be, because what we do know is that there are certain patterns in how this all pans out and the patterns seem to be consistent as far as we know. So yeah. layer seven's a baby step into second-tier operation. Uh, you know, it's, it's um, later on when uh, our species has evolved further, we will look back at layer seven and say, well, it's not really a good example of second tier, but it's certainly the first step into second tier. What's, it's true to say, though, that it has more coping capacity in terms of its capacity to comprehend and deal with complexity than all of the first six layers combined. That's a little bit hard to get your head around, but if you think of all of the amazing leaps and bounds that humanity has made throughout history, like you know, leaping from living in a, a small plot of land in a local area to being able to travel great distances like Genghis Khan in, in the third layer and conquer whole societies, and then another leap into being able to sail around the entire and world. colonise half the world. And colonise it mm-hmm. and figure out that it's actually uh, a sphere and not a disc yeah. or anything that we're living on. Big jump. Uh, and then <laughs> the jump to leave the planet and fly to the moon and back that came with layer five and then the jump that we're as a species making you know in terms of the global dominant paradigm right now from the scientific industrial to the network centric you know cryptocurrency driven uh, amazingly technically supported 
network-centric, humanistic, values-driven way of living, which we're yet to see play out in full, uh, and you add up all of those leaps and thinks that I think that okay, this leap from six to seven is all of that plus more, just to in, in between one stage and the next, which is mind-blowing. It, it literally is a quantum yeah. leap of consciousness. So just take a breath, folks, because it is a, it is a lot, and I think uh, for a lot of people's consciousness out there who are interested in this. It's also mean, it probably means that you, you're resonating in some way with it, but it is confusing and it is a, a paradoxical, which is part of um, layer seven two, the ability to, to handle, Deal to with. live with, to sit with paradox, you know, and that's, that's the thing. Some of the other elements that are really um, profound in here are not driven by fears or compulsions to the same degree. Um, that's yeah. a very big one. It is a very big one. Let me, let me run through these yes, key indicators so. now, as you're suggesting. So there's some key things that show up that somebody might be operating from second-tier consciousness. And the first one, as Nick just said, is that fear is no longer a driver. So fear is a major driver in the first-tier layers. Uh, there's always a fear of something, whether it's a fear of not succeeding or a fear of not surviving mm. or a fear of not being liked by your peers. Mm. There's always a fear. But in, from layer seven, once we get a, a solid foundation in it, that fear aspect of, of motivation dies down and goes away. So we're no longer motivated by fear. It doesn't mean that we don't feel fear. We can still feel fear. We don't, we don't become unfeeling. But sometimes when uh, people from who are still operating at the first tier layers talk about layer seven they'll often see it as unfeeling because it doesn't have the same strong emotional responses that they do uh, it's simply because fear is not a motivator anymore not yes. a driver of behavior yeah, it, can, it can look sort of cold and sort of self-interested in some way that kind of from that perspective that you're talking about it can mm. simply because it doesn't get tossed around by emotions in the way that people, way. people do and same with compulsions which is another big thing indulgences compulsions those idiosyncratic uh, things that you may be continually falling into whether it be maybe you think you're addicted to smoking or you or sexuality or love for that matter or you know going down to your, your same cafe every single morning because that's where you feel safe. Uh, any sort of thing that you see as a compulsion is also starts to drop away in this in this layer seven. Yeah, so uh, Graves also wrote that the, the compulsive behaviours, which are a characteristic of the first tier, are no longer there. Mm. And if we look at the key drivers of each layer in the first tier, we can figure out what the main compulsions are. You know, the key layer for layer six is human, deep human connection. And so the compulsive behaviour is around wanting that deep human connection, and often that plays out practically as constant talking you know i want to talk to you and i want to delve deep inside you so that you can do the same to me so that we connect can connect deeply and so uh, let's keep talking and i guess that's a well-known fomo fear of missing out is part of that too yeah you know, i've got to be there because everybody else is there you know i should go yeah. there because uh, that that's that'll make me feel more of myself if i go to that thing there or exactly that yeah. people there and another quick example would be layer five the key driver is personal success and so mm. the compulsive behaviors come around personal success you know sorry i'm too busy i have to keep working right i've got to work harder and i've got to work faster because otherwise I'm not going to be successful yeah. uh, and, and we could go on so um, absence of fear as a driver an absence of compulsive behaviors mm. an absence of the rejection factor so in the first tier of consciousness when we move from one layer to the next layer there's always a very strong rejection of the previous layer mm. but generally there's a rejection of 
all of the other layers because we're immersed in our layer. We feel like I've found the right way to live and people who aren't living the way that I live, who people who have different values, are wrong. They because, just haven't got it right. And because look at the world that they've created before us and all the problems that, are, that uh, we now have to live with and try and solve. Exactly. So you'll hear people talking about different layers, different value sets as broken, wrong, misguided. Diseased. Diseased is, is another one. Mm. And that kind of language in describing other value sets disappears with second tier because there's a general acceptance that each one of these layers has its place you know it, it, we're, we're in a nested system here so you can't get rid of one of the layers uh, it just doesn't work and um, of course that the capacity to do that comes from the fact that for the first time at layer seven the layered arrangement of human value systems is visible Whereas when we're in the first tier, we don't have any inherent capacity to sense that. When we bump into somebody who comes or is operating from a different set of values, we can feel that their values are not the same as us. But like I just said, we tend to, to uh, make a moral judgment and say it's wrong or I don't like it or I don't, just don't vibe with that person. But from layer seven, um, we develop this capacity to sense the frequencies of the different layers. And so um, I'm saying frequencies just to, mm -hmm. to use the analogy of like radio frequencies uh, associated with each of the different layers. And it's like skipping between radio stations as we go up the, the spiral of development. And so when we get to seven, we actually have the capacity to see and directly sense that, okay, gosh, I'm living in a world where people are all operating from different frequencies. And you realize that the frequencies are associated with these value sets. And so when you meet somebody who's coming from a particular value set, you can read their frequency. Uh, and you might not even notice that you, you do that. You know, if you've never come across a, a framework like Claire Graves' model to describe your personal experience, you might be just living the experience and yeah. knowing that, oh, yeah, I, I get that. You know, I, I, mm. I realized that when I meet a person like that they're living life from that particular understanding mm. you know mm. um so you don't necessarily have to have this theoretical framework behind you to to live from second tier certainly not but that capacity to directly sense a frequency uh is a characteristic of second tier in general and it means that we no longer um uh, act out this rejection factor okay so it's a, it's a deeper in a sense it's a deeper acceptance of, of different values then isn't it i mean it's not just sort of what's politically correct or what appears to be true in a certain level of which is okay it's actually a much deeper appreciation it is you know and it's it's more than just an acceptance of visibility it's visibility. really a visibility you can you can actually see not you know not necessarily literally or mm. some people can yeah. um but you can directly sense this you know it's not just a, a logical mind understanding it's a direct sensing thing uh, and and over time uh, for a second tier individual as they um, get more comfortable and, and understand that process further and they can read someone's frequency very very quickly uh, and within moments of meeting somebody they can read their frequency and therefore immediately understand what value set they're living life from which makes it very easy to interact with people you know you're not stumbling and falling over things like in a clumsy way like you might do in the first tier when you meet somebody with different values you've got to kind of get onto a particular topic to realize that oh hell i'm talking to somebody here who really doesn't have my understanding or yeah. my value set around that
Yeah. So, so we've spoken so far about the absence of fear as a driver, the absence of compulsive behaviours, the absence of rejection around other value sets. Another characteristic of layer seven, this first step into second tier consciousness, is the capacity to understand and be comfortable with paradox. So uh, the rational mind finds paradox very difficult because it's you're trying to figure out if it's this is not that, if it's this and not that, mm. but it's actually this and that, mm. which is very confusing. I think I've always said I think paradox is an indication of the language of the divine, so to speak, you're present with. That's my little take on that. And I think it's definitely that, unless it's not. Uh, Thank and, you. And so, it, it, you know, a, a rational, logical mind example of paradox would be, uh, and this is just a, an analogy, it's not obviously the exact thing, but uh, a childproof lock, right, on a cupboard door where, I mean, the child just knows that you pull doors to open them, and usually with childproof locks, you can't pull the door by opening it. You've got to actually open it first and then push it back and, and flick a lever inside. Um, and that in a general sense is a paradoxical situation for the child and that's why the child can't cope with it because it hasn't got that coping capacity yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, paradox an understanding and a comfort with paradox brings a capacity to deeply understand uh, complex system dynamics and why uh, co a complex system might exhibit certain symptoms that are opposite to the actual way that the system is trending overall and of course there's no better example of that in current society than the climate that we often bang on about so uh, comfort with and capacity to, to work with paradox. And so you'll see second-tier individuals taking these paradoxical steps. And that's often why they can seem kind of strange to folks who are looking at them from mm. the first tier because they seem to be doing stuff that looks like the opposite of what they ought to be doing, mm. yet they're working with in a paradoxical way with complex systems. And the reason we, we're going to run out of time today to give a full ex exposition of all of this, but we'll come back to that. But uh, for me, uh, just to bring it down to uh, the, the practical application, if you will, of this tier of thinking, because layer seven is about systems of systems. So by being able to accept different values, by not being driven by previous fears or compulsions, may be able to recognize others and see where they're coming from. This enables the possibility of bringing the best of everything into a system and to adapt and to adopt it and to create um, new systems of systems that uh, start to, uh, which may not be the solutions that one thinks they're gonna be. They're not gonna be necessarily in the direction that you uh, rationally think they should be. They may be completely different, but the ability to accept all sorts of different angles, so to speak, that can or may provide elements of solutions in a new system of systems. Yeah, and often there's confusion about that topic when it's looked at from layer six. Well, layer six is very focused on systems theory, so it likes to look at a whole system to include you know everything that it sees as appropriate or relevant in the system. Like the Gaia hypothesis. Yeah, uh, whereas layer seven is looking at systems of systems. Mm -hmm. And the, the obvious example in our discussion here is looking at the value systems, the layers of consciousness in the first right. year, seeing them all and understanding that, wow, actually, actually there's a whole system of systems here that I'm living within and I'm a part of it. Uh, and the, there's a, a, in the transition from six to seven, one of the things that trips people up is this difference between diversity within a single system and actually systems of systems and there's a key distinction there yeah, just because okay. you've got a lot of diversity doesn't necessarily mean that you're looking at a system of systems yeah. um, so that that's a key sort of understanding that emerges with second tier mm -hmm.
For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, you're grokking future sense. Here on Bay FM. 10.48 here on Future Sense with Nick and Steve and a pregnancy, birth and beyond up at 11 o'clock. Stay tuned to Bay FM. We're concluding our little first expose of, uh, of the yellow layer of layer 7 in Claire W. Graves' work. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Um, so we just spoke about systems of systems mm. and uh, some people call that systemic, a systemic approach. And um, this capacity that comes with the ability to read other people's frequencies, in other words, to directly sense which operating system or layer a person is uh, operating from at the time and remembering that this is a dynamic thing. So people are not locked into operating from one layer all the time. It's a dynamic process. And depending on uh, clues that our life conditions give us, we will in the first tier subconsciously shift and move between layers to operate according to the complexity that's required by our life conditions. And what happens in second tier at from layer seven and onwards is we, that becomes a conscious process. So we, because we have this capacity to directly sense someone's operating frequency, we can then shift our frequency to match. And so yellow or layer seven has what you might call a kind of shape-shifting adaptivity, capacity to meet somebody where they're at uh, in the most amazing way um, and to make the other person feel like you are actually doing that you're meeting them right where they're at and you're matching their particular operating frequency in an exchange so that that's one of the things that uh, makes layer seven mm. operation so capable and remembering that um in the progress through the layers as we come up through the first tier there's this alternation between left brain and right brain which gives rise to individually oriented values and then alternatively community oriented values and we swing backwards and forwards between those as we progress up the spiral and then into second tier layer seven does have an individual theme to it but it's it's much less extreme than in the first tier because what's happening is we're getting for the first time an integrated operation between left brain and right brain in a way that hasn't happened before and I think there's we, we still don't have a lot of good science around that but we understand that we're, we're no longer biased one way or the other way in in so much as we were in the in the first tier it, that reduces and we're able to operate and switch between left brain and right brain much more easily which is part of where this this quantum leap in capacity comes from the other thing that happens is that our entanglement with the issues of the first layer falls away significantly so if as we go through the first uh, tier of consciousness um, what happens is that we're building a stack of operating systems and each one has this um, this, this entanglement with certain aspects of our life. So the, the first layer has entanglement with our survival issues, the second layer with our family issues, the third layer with our power issues, the fourth layer with our, our uh, duty-based issues, the fifth layer with our issues of success, the sixth layer with our issues of acceptance uh, within, a, within our peer group. And so by layer six, we've got a whole collection of these things each with its own compulsive behavior and so we become very overloaded by the time we reach layer six with all of these competing uh, capacities and, and 
um, liabilities, you mm. know, getting torn around by, okay, I really like to do that, but I'm torn by my family, you know, or I really feel like I want to do that, but I, I'm torn by my religious beliefs. Mm. And, mm. and these That's things, great. you know, this, this fills up our psychological capacity. And as we transition into second tier, for some reason we become disentangled from all of that and it falls away and we can still access all of those capacities we can still access all of those experiences and we can still live according to mm. those previous layers but they no longer dominate our yes. behavior you don't have to lose anything but no, you're not driven by it in the same way exactly exactly mm. Uh, and so the extra coping capacity that we get in second tier comes from the fact that all of that stuff just dies down and it leaves us with this big, big uh, space that we can play around in in terms of our psychological capacity. Another thing that uh, we find emerging with layer seven is the ability for pattern recognition. And again, I think this comes from this fact that we can start to see systems of systems. Uh, so pattern recognition capacity. Uh, really climbs up. So we're, I know we're, we're tight for time and we're almost mm. done. There's just a couple more things that I want to mention here before we close up. So each layer has a theme and in Claire Graves's model, the theme of the seventh layer, yellow, first step into the second tier is I learn. And it's I learn because all of a sudden we're experiencing life through effectively new eyes. We're, we're experiencing life in um, a... a place of being able to sense dimensions of existence that we just couldn't sense before uh, and so you could liken that to the the uh, experience of neo in the matrix movie <laughs> where he's kind of pulled out of what could be the first tier of consciousness yeah. uh, pulled out of the matrix uh, and then he goes back in and then he sees it with new eyes yeah. like he like he just he experiences it like he's never seen it before and he literally sees the code yeah. i mean that's that's an incredible example in recent pop culture it is. this film isn't it, it? Is. absolutely because it's yeah, speaking yeah. it's resonating with a lot of people for reasons that they probably don't even know yeah. in most cases it's an amazing analogy mm. it really is mm. and uh our way of operating now from layer seven is we look for what works so we have all of this access to extra information we can shift and move between operating frequencies and we start to learn that these value systems this band of frequencies is like our artist's palette we've got all of these options available all these different colors and we can shift our own frequency to meet other people's frequency we can approach problems from whatever level of coping capacity is most appropriate for them you know so we've got if we've got a, like a success oriented business issue then it's probably best approach from layer five and that kind of thinking and that frequency and we can shift ourselves to do that and so this is where the extra capacity comes from is we're no longer locked into a single frequency a single way of thinking a single set of values we have access to to a whole range everything that humanity has developed ever since it first emerged mm. uh, and we can apply whatever systems whatever value systems whatever frequencies are most appropriate for the complexity of the problem at hand exciting times folks and uh, thanks for the couple of texts that came in and someone has asked about the, the uh, title and author of the 200 page or so book that we mentioned before that Steve has and it's Claire W. Graves His Life and His Work and it's by Rainer Krum that's K-R-U-M-M and Benedict 
Pastorfer, P-A-R-S-T-O-R-F-E-R. We'll post these on our Twitter feed. And on uh, Facebook. And on Facebook, our yeah. Facebook site, uh, Future Sense, and our Twitter feed at Future Sense Show. And, and this is a brand new book. It was only published last year. Mm. You can order that. Thanks for joining us here today. And uh, the podcast will be up in a few days of this show, minus uh, sponsorships and uh, and announcements and even the music, which is a bit of a shame sometimes. But uh, you can always check out uh, the full show on the Bay FM website also if you want to check out what sort of music uh, we have played today, if any of that interests you. And we will be with you next Monday morning from 9 to 11. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Nick. Great pleasure. Yeah, it's been good. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.